0: Welcome to the second season of Science Actually, a podcast by Imperial College London students and staff. We're delighted to have you back for a new exciting topic, the science of the future. Tag along as we ask Imperial's experts to give us a glimpse of what's ahead of us.
1: and welcome to the Science Actually podcast. My name is Ellie, a final year biological sciences student. In this episode, we have invited two guests who will be delving into how food production might be transformed to feed the world's population more sustainably with a focus on alternative protein sources. We will be addressing the question, what does the future of sustainable food production look like? Our first guest is Dr. Tilly Collins, Deputy Director of Imperial Center for Environmental Policy With a PhD in tree pest ecology, Dr. Collins is also a senior teaching fellow and advanced research fellow in the faculty of natural sciences here at Imperial. Her current research is interdisciplinary, focusing on improving the sustainability of cropland expansions, as well as using insects to promote sustainable food systems. So Dr. Collins, thank you very much for joining us today. So nowadays with growing concerns over climate change, people are becoming increasingly aware of the environmental toll of agriculture. So could you please tell us about the biggest issues with current food production systems?
2: Hello, Ellie. I think really the biggest problem we have is that what we're producing is relatively inefficient, especially with regards to meat, because what we do is use a lot of land to grow plants, which is actually incredibly efficient to use land to grow plants. But then we feed it to the animals, which has a very, very low conversion rate. So the, the energy that we've captured through, from the sun and that we've absorbed through growing plants is then only very partially transmitted to the meat that we're growing through raising animals. So that, that's our single biggest problem. And, and the other biggest problem is not really a food system problem. It's that we eat too much meat.
1: And what is the problem with eating too much meat?
2: Well, we know certainly with red meats and, and with processed meats that we have really bad health consequences as a result, that cancer rates are much higher in meat eating people. And we've known that for some time, but we we also have to account for just the, the huge inefficiency of rearing meat. And the fact that it's actually, it's, although it gives us protein, it's actually not nutritionally that complete. It certainly provides us with some things, but it doesn't provide us with all the things that we need. So it's, a meat as meat a small component of a diversified diet is great, but as a large component of a low diversity diet, it's really not great at all.
1: Yeah, I think it's safe to say that despite a rise in vegetarianism, meat remains the go-to protein source for a lot of people, despite its inefficient production and despite it being a less healthy choice And to mitigate some of the environmental costs of producing meat, part of your research looks at integrating insects into the food system. Can you tell us more about how this might work? Well,
2: insects are remarkably efficient. They are animals, of course, but they're animals which have a a cold-blooded system rather than a warm-blooded system. Insects exist at an ambient temperature, and they wait for the environment to be at the right temperature for their metabolism to work. Whereas mammals use the energy and use part of their food to create an environmental temperature internal to their bodies so that they maintain their bodies at this optimal point for their metabolism. So insects don't require as much energy to grow because they're not investing in their own temperature regulation. They can also be reared on a very much wider range of feedstocks so they can eat essentially our agricultural waste. So they become part of a circular system where you you grow some plants for the seed component and then you can feed the stalk component to insects which then provide us with protein and Of course, frass, frass is insect poo and it's a a very dry substance by and large. And it's a brilliant soil conditioner and brilliant fertilizer. But the insects themselves, many things can happen to them. They can go into our agricultural production system, say for chicken. So chickens fed on live maggots are very, very much happier than chickens fed on dry pellets. And especially at the moment where where we, are, where we have been keeping our chicken indoors because of avian flu, they need something to promote their quality of life because of course eating meat isn't just about efficiency. We would on the whole like to know that these animals have had a good life. We don't want them to suffer unnecessarily. And you can of course increase the efficiency of animal production by putting them in very unnatural situations, really crammed tight together. And that, that is very problematic. But if you scatter live maggots into chicken barns, the chickens stop pecking each other and pulling each other's feathers out to a large extent because they have this much more natural behaviour of foraging for live food, which is something you know that they've evolved to do. And ditto the, the maggots, especially from from fly insect production systems, can also be fed to fish. Of course, you know, for fish, it's a very very natural diet to be eating the insect protein. And then we can eat those proteins, the, the fish and the chicken, but we can also eat the insects. As a protein supplement, the, the quickest way this is coming into our diets is, is through kind of the gym bars and the protein powders which people consume quite readily because you can't see what kind of an insect it is at all. You grind it up and it's just a powder. So you can buy, you know, gym bars with extra bounce with cricket powder in them. Because we eat the whole insect, we get a very much greater nutritional completeness than if you just eat a part of the animal. So if you eat a steak, you're only eating a small part, you're eating the muscle mass. But with the cricket powders, you're eating very much the whole of the animal. They're high in fiber, they're relatively low in fat, they're high in protein, and they they have many of the micronutrients that we really need.
1: So other than the nutritional benefits of eating insects, how is using insects as a direct food source for humans more efficient or more sustainable than say meat or fish?
2: Well, because because they're cold-blooded and because a lot of them are pre-adapted to being in high densities, we can farm them at incredible numbers in incredibly small areas for a very low energy cost. So they take up much less land, they use much less water, their feed conversion ratio is ten, at least 10 times better than vertebrate meat. And they're ethically a lot better because they, they tend to be pre-adapted to high densities. When you hear about locust swarms, they, they aggregate naturally. So actually keeping them at high densities in in a stacked farming system is not as traumatic to them as it is traumatic to a cow to be kept under those conditions.
1: Our polling team asks, what might an insect farm
2: look like? Insect farms can look like many things. So you get really high-tech ones, and there are some, some really big ones in America now. There are some pretty big ones on continental Europe. And they're factories and they're, they're stacked systems with controlled environments. And then you go to Asia, where there, there are also very casual farms, which are concrete sort of bunkers with millions of insects inside them that then get shipped off to markets. But also you can go to West Africa, where a, a small household insect farm is a bucket with the lid, And they put their vegetable waste into this, or their agricultural waste into this and then eat the the arising meat. With palm weevils, which have these delicious, great juicy larvae, if you wait for them to become late-in-star larvae, uh, they they sell for for three to four times the price of goat meat in the markets. And they're viewed as, as a delicacy. So eating insects has this extraordinarily long cultural history over many parts of the world. But uh, interestingly here, they're classified as a novel food currently, which is slightly problematic.
1: Yes, eating insects is definitely very new to a lot of us. So to give us a flavour of perhaps what might be in store, our poem team also asks, what is your favourite insect dish that you've tried before?
2: Oh, my favourite insect is. I can can tell you I don't like crickets when they've got their legs on because the bits get stuck between your teeth. Um, So I do quite like crunchy crickets without their legs. I had caramelized beetle larvae that were really delicious as a snack. And I certainly, I use the the insect protein powders in in making chocolate cakes and things at home. And my children have adapted to this. They give it an interesting nutty flavor, the cricket powder. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. I remember once having deep-fried whole grasshoppers in Thailand, but that was when I was very small, and right now I still find the thoughts of eating insects quite unsettling. And in fact, when we asked our polling team whether they would eat insects as a protein source over meat, 8 out of 10 students responded no or maybe, saying that insects are unappetizing and that their first instinct upon seeing insects is to, well, get rid of them. So, how can we overcome the negative perspective people have of eating insects so that they are more open to this new prospect?
2: You just have to start habituating people. Young. I mean, our, our perceptions about food are so interesting because different cultures have such widely different perceptions. And it is essentially down to what you're accustomed to from a very young age. So, take, in, in France, you know, it's completely normal to have a snail which actually is really an excuse for excessive amounts of garlic butter. But it's completely abnormal to have a slug. So really the difference between snails and slugs is is very, very marginal. And yet the perceptual difference is huge. So really we have to start young. We're not going to switch people later, but we do have evidence many a time of these dietary shifts. So the, the classic example that gets used is that of lobster, which used to be the food of slaves and seen terribly poorly, and no one would want to eat lobster. But in the 1950s, sort of after the war, in America, it began to be seen as a delicacy. A couple of key people had it for their weddings and in magazines, and suddenly lobster became very, very valuable and perceived as okay. So we need Attractive people at the top to be seen to be eating these things, and we need to start young, and that's, that's how you habituate
1: Assuming that public acceptance is achieved, how big of a role do you think insects will play in our diets in the future?
2: As, you know, I think we have, we have very good plant proteins, uh, there's great potential from uh, alternative meat production systems, And there will always be the place for, you know, a delicious steak from a well-run animal that has a lesser environmental footprint because it's part of an integrated farming system. So I don't think people will ever completely give up meat, but there, there is a place for these alternative proteins, especially things like insects, which can be part of a circular system and use our waste to produce protein so efficiently
1: and do you have any examples of some of these alternative protein sources that might have been overlooked by
2: people well there, there's certainly plenty of plants <laughs> so some people overlook lentils and others don't overlook lentils and you know there are lentils there are the, the pulses which are very much more efficient to produce they're agriculturally efficient and they don't use as much water as beef um, the, the land area is, is really very, very good to use. Um, and I think something that you're, you're going to talk about again in future is the idea of a cell-based meat system, which are beginning to be really interesting.
1: And I think that leads us brilliantly to our second guest, Dr. Collins. Thank you very much again for joining us on the podcast and for sharing with us the potential role of insects in food production systems in the future.
2: Yeah, absolutely my pleasure.
1: As we've just learned from Dr. Collins, there are other protein sources we can turn to as a more sustainable alternative to meat. One particularly exciting avenue is cultivated meat, which has been gaining a lot of traction lately, and is what our second guest, Rika Tron, is working on. Rika holds a master's degree in systems and synthetic biology from Imperial. When she was an undergraduate, she co-founded Multis Media with two other Imperial students aiming to develop affordable and ethically sourced growth media for the production of cultivated meat. Multis Media was the winner of the Faculty of Natural Sciences Make a Difference competition in 2019. In the same year, the team won the UK national finals of the Climate Launchpad competition, which is the world's largest competition for green business ideas. This is also where Rika herself won the Female Founders Award. So Rika, thank you very much for joining us today on the Science Actually podcast. So can you first tell us what cultivated meat is?
0: Yeah, so uh, this is real meat, but it wasn't grown by cutting down animals, but it was just grown from animal cells. So you can grow the animal cells in a nutritional mixture and in a supportive environment to become full meat products, but rather than growing an entire animal, you're just growing the actual meat.
1: So how does um this cultivated meat compare to real animal meat, for instance, in molecular composition, texture, and taste?
0: Yeah, so the ultimate goal is to create something that is exactly the same as um, conventional meat, it's just being produced differently. So I don't know, probably a lot of the listeners have tried plant-based meat, but it just doesn't quite hit the texture and the taste Um I completely agree with that. And cultivated meat is supposed to really provide you with the exact same experience, with the exact same meat cellularly that that is so fundamental for all the cultures around the world and just without the sort of awful environmental impact that is associated with conventional agriculture and without the animal suffering and without the antibiotic usage.
1: As you just mentioned, there are severe environmental impacts of producing meat the traditional way. But what about uh, the production of cultivated meat? Are there any perhaps environmental impacts associated with its production?
0: Yeah, so well, at this stage, um, what we can definitely see is it's going to be quite energy intensive. So while um, it can definitely reduce our water, land use, and also the greenhouse gas emission by 90 plus percentage. It only reduces the energy by less than 50%. Um, because This is because obviously you're going to need production facilities. You're going to need bioreactors to create this meat. So it's going to be quite energy intensive. But with the parallel um, advancement of clean energy um, as a technology, I am fairly confident that by the time that cultivated meat needs to scale, clean energy hopefully will be solved as well.
1: Yeah, so the idea of cultivated meat being a solution to the adverse effects of the current meat industry is definitely very attractive, especially if the product is basically identical to so I guess real meat. What are some of the challenges facing the industry that is preventing cultivated meat from being readily available?
0: Yeah, so there are in general four challenges of this industry. Firstly, you need you need to a sustainable source of cells. You need to source cells from animals without harming them and like without killing them. And that needs to be sort of sustainably regularly sourced by the cultivated meat companies. The second one is building scalable bioreactors, building the infrastructure to really create cultivated meats. These are called cultivators. Then the third one is really figuring out how to replicate the structure of meat. There are a number of companies around the world who have more and more amazing solutions to solve the structure problem. You know, how when you bite into like a a chicken breast, you can see like, you can feel the stripes um, of muscle and you really want to see that in the same way. And then the fourth one, which is what we're focusing on is really feeding the animal cells so that they can, well, grow, multiply, and divide and become actual meat.
1: So Multis Media is aiming to develop a growth medium that will, like you said, feed the cells. And your product, Proliferium M, has just been launched this year in 2022. So our polling team asks, what is the process behind developing Proliferium M, and how does its performance and cost differ to other growth media on the market?
0: Yeah, so we launched in the market actually only in February, so only five months ago this year. Um, And basically there has been a lot of research going into creating this full growth medium. This can grow muscle, fat and connective tissue. Our technology lies on both um, the ingredients and the full formulation side. So on the formulation side, we're creating the best recipe of all the different ingredients, optimizing the concentrations, observe how they interact with each other, how they affect each other's concentrations. And we have um, a statistics pipeline and um, an automation pipeline to assess how the different formulations um, can grow cells. And then on the ingredient side, we have created um, more stable proteins that can sustain in the growth media longer, effectively lowering the cost of the the full growth media because you need to use less of them. And then we're also producing some of the ingredients much more affordably using uh, fermentation and using plant based sources. This will reduce the cost to below five pound per liter of growth media at this stage it's around the same cost as the alternatives which is fetal bovine serum which is coming from the blood of cow fetuses which is horrendous ultimately ours is going to be a lot cheaper which is going to be a result of more r&d and scale
1: And following up on that, one of the major selling points of cultivated meat is that it can be made ethically without the use of live animals. And yes, proliferum M does solve the conundrum of needing expensive and animal-derived growth medium, but animal cells still need to be extracted for the production of cultivated meat in the first place. And so our polling team also asks whether, in this context, cultivated meat production is still truly animal-free.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I am not an expert on regulation and not an expert on categorizing what counts as animal free or what counts as as vegan or vegetarian. The animal is not dying because of this biopsy. This is a tiny biopsy, tiny sample of its cells, and then the animal can go on and live happily ever after. So In that sense, I think most of the vegetarians or vegans who are choosing that lifestyle because of um, the animal suffering or the environmental Mm -hmm. impact, they they are probably going to to be open for this. But there will be those who just don't like meat (laughs) and those will just not switch. And I think it's important to emphasize that the target audience of cultivated meat is not the vegetarian or vegan community. It is the meat eaters who just, want to have the same meat that they love, but without the environmental and ethical impact.
1: Given that this entire industry is quite new to a lot of people, have you encountered sort of problems with people accepting the idea of eating something that is, to put it crudely, grown in a lab?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I guess it's not grown in a lab, it's going to be grown in a factory. I think there Is not going to be an immediate shift. Um, It's going to take time until we fully transition. And I'm I'm not even sure we will ever reach the 100% transition into cultivated meat. But there has been quite a lot of um, studies done by the cultivated meat producer to see how people think about cultivated meat. Would they try it? How much would they pay for it? And they have all been super positive. They looked at different age groups, different backgrounds. And overall, it seems like most people would actually be really excited to at least try and maybe even pay more for cultivated meat initially.
1: That's very promising Yeah, and finally, where do you see Multis Media and the cultivated meat industry as a whole in the future? Well, at this stage, the next step is for the industry is really
0: to get regulatory approval in the US and then in Europe and some of the bigger markets. Um, Because at this moment, it's only approved in Singapore for consumption. But I expect, and the industry really expects, um, the US to approve it in the next... um, Well, either this year or early 2023. So that's going to be a huge step because that means that all the cultivated meat companies can actually start scaling. And well, they have been sort of building out their pilot facilities, but that will be really a huge milestone for the whole industry. In terms of timelines, I'm somewhat hoping, but also I have strong reasons to believe that by 2030, um, we can even have it on the supermarkets in the UK, which is really exciting. (laughs) And with Multis Media, we really just want to be part of this transition. We want to be part of reforming the food industry and just creating more sustainable production of something that is already out there.
1: And I'm very excited to see what you guys will be able to achieve in the coming years. And I'm excited to see cultivated meat in my local Sainsbury's. Um, so thank- Rika, thank you so much for joining us today and for telling us more about cultivated meat and how your company is working towards making it more available.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm also super excited about the, the potentials.
1: In this episode, our two guests have highlighted some innovative solutions that could be adopted in the future to provide protein to the world's population more sustainably. Thank you very much to Dr. Collins and Rika for giving us plenty of food for thought.